Good morning, everyone. I say it often, but I don't think there's a place I'd rather be than here with all of you. It is a blessing to get to be together this morning. I want to start off by giving a little shout out to our ladies. Last week, we announced that ladies' Bible class was starting back up. Every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, if you drive by the building, you'll see a pretty full, full parking lot, and that's because we have a lot of ladies participating in ladies' Bible class. It's a wonderful opportunity if you're available and a lady to get connected with other Christian women and to sit at the feet of some wonderful Christian women teachers. Um, we have so many women that are capable of teaching the Word of God well, and in that context, it's, it's been such a positive thing. Um, having the Word of God shared in that capacity and the connections that are made. Those are two of the most important things that we do. Um, studying God's Word together and encouraging one another in that and forming those relationships that hold us accountable and keep us working. So if you are a lady and available on Tuesdays, we want you to take advantage of that. If you're not available on Tuesdays, we have a ladies class running right now for the next two quarters on Wednesday nights. And that's another great place to get involved in the same type of situation. Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. We are in week three of our series, the I Am Jesus series, where we're looking at the I Am statements told to us through the Gospel of John. And today we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there, we're going to be there the whole time so you're not wasting any effort. Um, you get to John chapter 10 and we're going to camp out and stay. While you're turning, I'm going to share a little bit about the nightly conversation at the Dozier House told him in first service, I feel like our, our life is a little bit of a reality TV show now because I come and all of my jokes, I think, come from things that happen at our house. So I'm going to get in trouble for that pretty soon, and Brianna's going to make me stop this, but one more joke at her expense today. Every night when we start getting ready for bed, usually I'm the one that kind of initiates this conversation because I'm the old man that likes to go to bed early. So I put my chair down, put my feet down on the recliner. That's signal number one, that it's getting close to bedtime. And I stand up and I say, well, I think it's time to go to bed. And I start walking off to the bedroom. And Brianna says, oh, Blake, did you lock the back door? And I say, yep. And then I wink at her. And then I turn around and walk into the bedroom. And she sighs every night. And what does she do? She walks to the back door to check that it's locked. It usually is locked, but the wink just makes it where she can't resist. What she doesn't know is that three weeks ago, I unlocked the front door and she never checks it. <laughs> I told her that first service and I got in trouble afterwards. It's not true. I, 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 I would not do that to her. Why, why do we have doors? You know, um, we don't think about that often. I mean, first of all, if every day when we got home, we busted into the house like the Kool-Aid man, well, we wouldn't have a house left for very long. That wouldn't last long. The, the truth is, sometimes we want to come inside. Sometimes we want to leave. Doors allow us to have a single point of entry where we can do that. They allow us to permit certain people in and to keep certain people out. Doors are actually really important. I mean, they allow us to come and go while maintaining the integrity and the security of the place that we live. Here in our key text, John chapter 10, we're going to see a reference to Jesus as the door. Um, if we kind of looked at the context leading up to John chapter 10, it's interesting. In, in chapter 9, we see that Jesus has just healed a man who was blind from birth. 
He made a mud salve, and he, he spread it on his eyes, and he told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this, you know, really escalated even more so these tensions that we see between Jesus and the Pharisees and the chief priests that we've kind of introduced last week. And as these tensions escalate, they look at this man, and they're trying desperately to figure out a way that this miracle didn't happen. I mean, this was a really powerful one. This man claimed to be born blind from birth, and so they call in his parents and say, was he really blind from birth? Trying to get away from it. They say, yes, he was. Well, what happened? You're going to have to talk to him. And everyone puts them off and puts them off, and finally they get the man cornered, and they ask him about Jesus, and, and he claims that Jesus must be from God. And, and honestly, in an effort to shut down Jesus' teachings and push him out of the way, they, they don't want to deal with this miracle, so they kick the man out of the synagogue. And Jesus has this really encouraging conversation with him. And then we get to the end of chapter 9, and we see that the Pharisees have been listening in. And this, this figure of speech that he uses, I think, is directed at them in, in response to them. The lessons for the next two weeks are going to come from this response that he gives them. I think both of the two-week lessons really point us towards verse 10. That's kind of the hinge, hinge point that we're going to see, the common point between my lesson this week and my lesson next week, where he talks about abundant life for the sheep. And the, the metaphors that Jesus surrounds that with gives us different ways of looking at him and characteristics that he holds that make that possible. As we read this first section, you're going to see that the word used figure, that Jesus uses the word figure of speech, or sorry, John uses the word figure of speech in relation to Jesus' words. And this word, it may be translated parable in, in some of your Bibles. It could have been translated riddle or fable or narrative or proverb. The idea is this, there was something cryptic about what Jesus was saying that they didn't first understand. So let's jump into our text. John chapter 10, verse 1. To the Pharisees who were challenging, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes out before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now I want to pause here for just a second and put a picture of an ancient sheepfold up on the screen. I want you to have a picture of what Jesus was talking about. This is something that may not be familiar to all of us. It would have likely been a structure like you see behind me, um, probably made out of rock, probably circular. And what you would see is that there would be one entry point into this structure. So in the evenings, the shepherds from that area would have gathered up their flocks and they would have brought them into the sheepfold. Often there might have been several different flocks of sheep that kind of combined together to stay there in the night. And then a gatekeeper would have been hired to sleep across the opening of the sheepfold to be sure that the sheep didn't get out and something bad didn't get in. Um, and so that's kind of what we're dealing with. Now, we see from the last verse that as he described this situation, they were confused. They, they didn't understand exactly what Jesus was saying. They're kind of scratching their heads, wondering what it meant. And, and in a sense, I feel their pain. There's a lot going on here to wonder about. We have a shepherd 
We have thieves and robbers. We have sheep. There's someone entering through the door. There's a gatekeeper. There's a stranger. We have sheep being sorted by voice. The truth is, to them, all of these images would have been perfectly sensible. They knew what a sheepfold was for. They knew how the gatekeeper operated. They knew how the shepherd and the sheep had a special relationship that allowed them to be sorted out the next morning by by hearing his voice. They understood the need to protect the sheep. They understood the need to enclose the sheep. They understood the need to identify the sheep. All of these images would have been as, as common to them had he made a sports analogy to you. You might not be a football player, but you would know what an end zone and a touchdown and a quarterback and a field goal were. And that's the type of of imagery Jesus was drawing on for them, one familiar to them. But, But they missed the point. You see, next Jesus takes this same metaphor and he continues to expand on them. Often I think we look at this next section of Scripture and because of our experience with how parables worked in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we think in this situation Jesus has given a parable and then he explains the parable in the verses that follow. But that's difficult for for several reasons. Namely, Jesus doesn't seem to use the imagery exactly the same way as he moves into this next piece of text. Here's what I think is happening. Rather than an explanation, Jesus is expanding on the metaphor. I want to show you what I mean. We're going to start in verse 7 and read all the way through verse 16. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now we dipped our toes into the water of next week's lesson a little bit there, so I'm going to put verses 7 through 10 back up on the screen. That's what we're focusing on today. That said, I wanted you to have the the full context to grasp some of the challenges and and understand how we should read this passage. Namely, the way Jesus calls himself both the door and the shepherd, and he introduces another fold. If all I had to work with was the first set of metaphors, the first passage that we read, I don't know that I would have even noticed the door. At the very least, I would have made it out to be something different than Jesus claims as he goes on. But as he expands the metaphor, he he really drops the gatekeeper and he focuses on the door and the shepherd and how these two things impact the sheep. Jesus isn't simply explaining the first set of verses. He's expanding on what he sees as the key elements. And there are three, the door, the shepherd, and the sheep. This week we're looking at the door, and next week we're going to look at the shepherd and the sheep. 
So I want to start by backing up to the beginning and seeing what we can learn by Jesus' first words about the door. And then we're going to work our way into his I am statement. You see, the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is that as sheep, we can learn something about the parties in the sheepfold by noticing how they enter. The door is telling. So watch closely, sheep, Jesus is saying. You see, tricky people try to sneak around safety nets and bypass security guards and mean harm. We can learn a lot about those who claim to have authority and claim to have our best interest at heart and claim to be someone who we should follow by noticing how they entered the sheepfold. If they had to sneak in, then they don't have our best interest at heart. At our house, when I am home, I'm the gatekeeper. So what happens when the doorbell rings? Well, I lower my voice a little bit and I try to look big. And then maybe just crack the door so they don't, you can't really see what they're dealing with. It just can sound ominous. And, and, and you have some questions for whoever might be ringing that doorbell and asking the door. Who are they? Why are you here? What are you wanting? Maybe it's the neighbor kid from across the street and they get to come inside and play. Maybe it's a salesperson and they can get nicely asked to leave. Um, you never know who you're going to find on the other side of the door. But the bottom line is this. We have a protocol in place for screening. If someone tries to enter the house through a different route, say maybe a window, that's going to be a different conversation that we're going to have than were they coming at me from the door. The, the way you enter a stronghold matters. Jesus is specifically here talking to the religious leaders who do not have the people's best interest at heart, and they have found their way into the midst of the flock and they're calling to the people. And the first thing Jesus does is he says, hey, we need to figure out a way to delineate. We need to figure out a way to tell the difference between the robbers and the thieves and the shepherds. And the way you can do that is by noticing closely how they interact with the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, Jesus existed for a set time in history. At least as a man, he existed for a set time in history. So there were people before Jesus who led God's people, and there were people after Jesus who led God's people. There were a lot of voices And some of the voices were worth listening to, and some of them weren't. So we see Moses and Elijah prior. Afterwards, we see Peter and and Paul, and all of those were voices that that were worth listening to. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. We're going to talk about sheep knowing his voice. He is certainly the central voice in our lives. But the reality is, we live in a world where we're constantly weighing and determining Um, who we're going to follow and what voice we're going to listen to. And there are leaders all around us that we find ourselves drawn to. So how do we discern the difference between someone who has our best interest at heart and someone who does not? By the pathway through which they enter and by the relationship they have with the gatekeeper. So let's ditch the metaphor for a second and ask ourselves this. What does it look like for someone to enter through the door And what does it look like for someone to climb in by another way? Well, someone who climbs in is sneaky. 
someone who climbs in avoids authority. Someone who climbs in probably struggles to get in and, and has to fight through a difficult path. Someone who climbs in probably done so under the cover of night. I think we generally know a sneaky person when we see them. You can tell by the way that they look and the way they talk and the way they hold themselves. If someone has risen to prominence by bypassing God in any shape, form, or fashion, they have snuck in. What happens when this leader is faced with God's word? Do they know it or do they have to sneak around it? Do you find them justifying and rationalizing and arguing with God's word at every turn in an attempt to to make sense of the things that they teach and reconcile them with God's word? Are they willing to interact in public? Are they willing to face the the gatekeeper before, before others? Or do they have to argue with God's word to make it make sense? Do they proceed under the cover of night? Someone who enters through the door looks very different. They do so with permission. This person is transparent. This person is willing to disclose things. This person has nothing to hide. They're willing to walk up to the gatekeeper and talk to him while you are watching. What happens when this type of leader is faced with God's word is very different. They aren't afraid. They, aren't em- they, aren't, they are emboldened instead. They're, they're willing to answer the hard questions. They're willing to have that conversation with God's word. You see, the first part of Jesus' metaphor centers on the fact that the gatekeeper let the shepherd in the door. You can tell a lot about a teacher by how he ends up among the flock. Watch closely, sheep. It can be tempting to see someone in the fold and think because they are there, they belong. But if they came in the wrong way, if they had to bypass the gatekeeper, we can assume that they mean harm. As we move into the next section of Jesus' teaching, this is where it starts getting a little confusing, maybe isn't the word, but different than I would have expected. You see, if I were Jesus, I would have said, I am the gatekeeper. That's where I would have gone next. But instead, Jesus doesn't. He says, I am the door. And as Jesus expands this metaphor of the door, we see the promise of salvation shows up. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the first question I ask myself as I read this is this. Is is this three separate results of entering by the door? Do we experience salvation and the ability to go in and out and the ability to find pasture? And, And I don't think so. I don't think he's talking about three separate things. I think these build on one another. He is saying that salvation allows us to this in and out movement and this in and out movement is what allows us to find pasture these are the marks of salvation this is not something we get in addition to salvation salvation looks like this a saved person has the protection of the sheepfold when they need it and they also have access to pasture they come and go at the beckoning of their shepherd which we're going to talk about next week So let's talk a little bit about that, a little bit about the ability to come and go. Jesus was not talking about the ability to go from church to work or from good company to bad company. This isn't a moment where he's teaching about being in the world but not of the world, talking about retreating to the safety of the sheepfold among Christians and then going out into the world that's scary. 
That's not what Jesus was the passageway into. This metaphor is about our need for protection coupled with our need for pasture, and we need to be able to transfer between the two. You need rest, but you also need to work and forage. Spiritually speaking, there are times when you need to let your hair down and be, and there are times when you need to eat and grow and fill your stomach. Under the light of the sun, you enter the pasture and you consume the the truth that grows there. And under the light of the moon, you retreat to the sheepfold and you rest your soul knowing that the gate is kept secure. Jesus is what allows this movement back and forth between these two worlds. This is his claim, and I would argue that the Israelites he was speaking to were, were used to living in the sheepfold. And they had very little ability to graze on the the luscious pastures of life around them. They had drawn their circle of fellowship narrow. They lived a life of fear threatened constantly by outsiders. People would come in and they would claim to deliver them. We're going to deliver you from this caged up, incomplete life. But the reality is they had bypassed the gatekeeper. They had bypassed the the door. They had climbed over the wall, and so the only option those teachers had was to grab a few of the sheep, and maybe they could throw them over the wall and get them out, but that wasn't the life that they were looking for. They couldn't provide what they promised. The Israelites were, were stuck in a place that they didn't need to be, and I would argue that if we were prone to be stuck in a place, that would probably be the one we are most in danger of. Jesus understood, and God understood, that we need boundaries and protection and walls, but we also need freedom, and we need pasture. It's not enough just to sleep safe, and it's not enough just to eat well. We need both, and through Jesus, we are given the ability to navigate where we need to be. As Jesus said this, as he basically told them, I want you to be able to sleep safe and eat well, he introduced in verse 10 what I think is the key point of this verse. He introduced the idea of abundant life. And I think at our core, that's what we're all looking for. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, far too often I think we miss this reality. Instead of seeing Jesus as the pathway in and out, we see him as a door that is locked and keeps us from the joy that is on the other side. So what is on the other side? Church, on the other side is life, life abundant, life eternal. I look at this phrase, abundant life, and I ask myself the question, is he talking about quantity or quality? Quantity or quality? And I, and I think the answer is yes. You know, we, we have a mixed relationship with these two. We have all probably experienced a life whose quantity outran its quality. And it's difficult and painful to watch. Really, we know we, we want a large quantity. We want abundance. We want eternal life. But it wouldn't be very pleasant if it was low quality. Eternal life is one thing. Abundant life that Jesus is describing here is another level of soul-satisfying. Abundant life is what we get when we have the safety of a sheepfold and the fullness of pasture. It's what we get when we live this balance between the two, and we can only get it through Jesus Christ. Quantity and quality, that's what's offered. 
You know, I think we could read this, this metaphor in a way that saw Jesus as the pathway. Jesus is explaining the pathway to heaven. Jesus certainly is the pathway to heaven. He is the only pathway to heaven. But if we read this passage as if the sheepfold represents our existence here on earth, and the pasture represents heaven, and Jesus is the door that allows us to get there, I think we miss something powerful. You see in verse 9, look at the language. He says that we start by entering the sheepfold, but then he says if you are saved, you go in and out. You see, we don't go in and out from now to eternity. We don't go back and forth between earth and heaven. This seems to be the very present reality that someone experiences when they are saved. This means when we read the phrase abundant life, Jesus isn't just pointing us to the future. While there is certainly abundant life for all eternity, the point that Jesus is making is is from the moment you are saved, abundant life starts. And yes, that rolls into eternity, but it affects us in the here and now too. This protection and access that Jesus gives us happens on both sides of eternity. When your life is framed by the doorway of Christ, there is abundance Do you desire an abundant life? I think at our core, we're all driven to this. And if this is something you want, then you need a door. You need a sheepfold with a door, with a guard. You need the ability to come and go to satisfy your needs. And this is available only in Jesus. I don't know if y'all have noticed this emerging theme But every week, Jesus so far has spoken of life. Jesus is the bread of life, filling our two stomachs. Jesus is the light of life. He shows us the pathway to life and peace. Jesus is the door through which we pass from protection and pasture, through which we gain salvation and abundant life. You know, we aren't selling a product. I'm not trying to get you to buy into some sort of scheme I'm telling you that there was a man who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and he was born to a virgin, and he claimed to be from God. And at every corner, he supported that claim with miracles. And ultimately, this man was killed, and he rose from the dead, a life resurrected. And because of that ultimate miracle, we can trust the reality of what he says and what he has to offer. And those realities were wonderful. He offered life and peace, and now he has said that it would be in abundance. But the religious leaders of the time saw him as a threat, and they rejected him. And they decided that they could provide life and peace and abundance for themselves. And so they tried. And what we see is they ended up living a life of scarcity, among disease and filth, in the confines of a sheepfold filled with robbers. Note that this happened to religious people. This happened to the chosen people of God. That means we have to be careful not to believe that coming to church makes you immune from living a life of scarcity. These are the the church people here that we read of. And even in modern times, we see church people rejecting Jesus all the time. They were more concerned about arresting a man who threatened their power and influence than the fact that he had given a blind man sight. It can be easy to ruminate in the sheepfold 
with the thieves and robbers in the name of Jesus. But that is not abundant life. To enter by Christ means that we embrace his teachings and we love his ways and we love his people. The same things still happen today and the same offer is still on the table. There is a door to something better. There is a way to live a life that is full and safe, but it is only through Christ as your access point. Perhaps you don't know his teachings, and if that's the case, we would love to help you find them. One of the greatest gifts we have been given is God's word. We would love to study that with you. Perhaps you've seen the door, but the voices of others have made you hesitant to pass through it. Don't be misled by those who come to steal and kill and destroy. You have a choice to choose abundant life today. The waters of baptism are ready. We can, we can baptize you today. You can die to yourself through baptism and be raised up to walk in newness of life, in abundant life. And if that's you, I hope that you won't delay. Or maybe you're a believer, but you've been struggling and you need the prayers of your church family. Whatever you need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.